bit. What other uh, what other caves would you uh, would you have suggested? I was trying to think, but king or kingship? Yeah. Uh, once you think of a word, you can't think of any others. You know how that is. <laughs> so I have my mindset on knowledge, and and I think that's what I'm going to do. So thanks, Noel, for getting us started. I have. Uh, I have a file of things. Do you keep things in files still? Maybe it's our generation <laughs> that still has file drawers, you know? I, I think that file drawers themselves uh, may be a, a thing of the past before long. But I don't know about you, but of course, starting years ago as we did, we put things in file drawers. And so I've always had a alphabetical, uh, a couple drawers that are alphabetical, where I just put articles or uh, photograph pages out of books or something like that and keep quotations and illustrations and things like that. So I pulled that out and uh, there's way too much stuff in there. <laughs> you know, uh, I need to hire somebody to go through it all and do something with it, but probably won't happen. These days, it's so easy to file things electronically, keep, they keep on one thumb drive, uh, more than I can have in all of my 16 drawers or however many I have. Who knows? It's amazing. But uh, in thinking about knowledge, because the Bible does speak a lot about knowledge, what we're doing right now by conversing is sharing knowledge. We're thinking about what we know. Uh, we're talking about it. Uh, we're want, we want to learn a little more, get a little more knowledge. So uh, the Bible speaks often about uh, what we know, what we need to be knowing, uh, what God knows, what the Scripture teaches us in knowledge and so forth. I did uh, see this, that uh, someone uh, included this, I think it was Ravi Zacharias in one of his books, that all the way back to 1643 when Puritans came to this country. They were very interested in knowledge, and they were interested in making sure that their descendants had the knowledge that they would need in order to follow God, to know Christ as Savior, and so forth. So they wrote these words when they came to the shores of North America. They said, after God had carried us safe to New England, and we had builded our houses. This is kind of in that old English, by the way. Provided necessaries for our livelihood, reared convenient places of, uh, for God's worship, and settled the civil government. One of the next things we longed for and looked for was to advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity. Dreading to have an, illiter an illiterate ministry to the churches, when our present minister shall die in the dust. And you know what they, uh, what they founded then because of that? Harvard College, which is now Harvard University. It's to perpetuate a learned uh, ministry, that is ministers, uh, for this country. I think that the school has gotten a little a ways away from their founding principle over the years. But isn't that interesting? Uh, and that's the way they thought 
Uh, first, we're going to we'll build a house. The next thing we'll do is build God's house. And the next thing we'll do is uh, build a place to train our ministers so that our children and their children will always know the gospel. Also, uh, I pulled these out from not too long ago. According to a recent poll, 66% of Americans believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Now, you, you hear that a lot. I've heard it for years now, and you have too, about whether or not there's absolute truth. Uh, and generally what people are, are talking about when they say that is that can, you, can we say things definitely? Can we say this happened in history? Can we say this is how light moves uh, you know, across the universe? Can we say this is how gravity works? Can we say anything definitely, or are we all always learning more about it so we never really know absolutely truth about anything? Interesting, isn't it? Of course, as often is said, when someone says, there is no such thing as absolute truth. What have they just done? <laughs> They've just made an absolute truth statement. <laughs> that there's no such thing as absolute truth. So it's self-defeating anyway. But anyway, among young adults, uh, younger adults, the percentage is even higher. 72% of those between 18 and 25 do not believe uh, that absolutes exist. Moreover, the poll shows, uh, or goes on to show, that 53% of those who call themselves evangelical Christians believe there are no absolutes. Let me go back and say that again. 53% of those who call themselves evangelical Christians. You know, sometimes I read stats like this, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I agree with this statistic. I don't know how it was taken. It's kind of like, you know, when you, when you read a statistic about Christian marriage and divorce, and they say that, that Christian divorces are as high on the percentage rate as, as non-Christian. I don't believe that, because I believe there are a lot of people who say they're Christians and aren't. But I know this, I know there are a lot of evangelical young people in our schools and universities and so forth who... Uh, go through that time in their life when they're not sure what they should believe and, and whether their Christian background really is what they think it is. So maybe they're polling that group. Anyway, this means that the majority of those who say that they believe in the authority of the Bible and know Christ as Savior nevertheless agree that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Then the, the article says, no, not Christ, no, although he presumably works for them. Not the Bible? Absolutely not. Although 88% of evangelicals believe that the Bible is the written word of God and is totally accurate in all it teaches. Bizarrely, 70% of all Americans claim to accept this high view of Scripture, which is practically the same number as those who say there are no absolute truths. So how can, how can a Majority say we believe the Bible is the word of God and accurate in all it teaches, and the same majority say we don't believe in absolute truth because they're really mixed up about truth, I think. Well, we could go on and on with those kinds of things, of course, because uh, uh, 
polls and statistics. I don't know if they do us much good these days, but uh, you don't have to go very far to find someone who says, I don't think that the Bible is accurate, right? I don't think that the Bible teaches us uh, truth. Uh, the world is very much getting away from that. You can remember a time in, in your lifetime where basically the average lost person, your neighbor or, or the person on the street, would still revere the Bible. And if you could show them something out of the Bible, they would still accept it as true. Not so much anymore. I want to talk about three kinds of knowledge and mention a fourth one. The, there is common knowledge we're going to talk about in this world. Secondly, there's hidden knowledge that God has hidden in a certain way from people. And there is a full knowledge that we can know through God, through Jesus Christ, and through his word. I won't talk about a fourth one, uh, but that would be, I think, if, if we had that, would be God's knowledge. What does God know? Well, the answer is, what doesn't he know? <laughs> because he knows everything there is to know. Knowledge is God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, uh, Paul concludes after the first half of the book of Romans. And uh, in Acts 15, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of creation. So to, we, we know that God knows. If, if there is a God, and surely we believe that, that there is, then God is God. God knows everything. To, to those who say, well, I believe that there's a God, but I don't believe he knows this, or I don't believe he can do this, or if, as soon as you put some caveat on it, he's no longer God. If there is a God, then, of course, he knows everything. So when we talk about knowledge, the question is, what can we know? And, and what can we find out? So when we say, first of all, that there is common knowledge, that is... There is the ability in all human beings to know facts. We're, we're in this world, in God's world, and there are things that we can know no matter who we are. In Romans chapter 2, uh, for example, uh, look, at that, look at that chapter real quick, and, and I'm going to refer to some other verses you might be able to turn to, maybe not, but in, in Romans chapter 2, Paul is talking here about the heathen and then the moral man, and then he will talk about the Jew beginning in verse 17. But before he does that, he, he ends with a parenthesis, at least in the older version. Verse 13 through 15 of Romans chapter 2 is a parenthesis in his thinking. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. In other words, even if people don't have the word of God, and have never had access to the revelation of God, they can still know things, and they act upon those things. They know moral things. They know that lying is wrong and telling the truth is right. They know that killing someone is wrong, but uh, uh, letting them live is right. I mean, that's what Paul is saying. You, 
even if you don't have the law of Moses like the Jewish people do, you're still guilty before God because there are things that you can know and things that you should know. Then, uh, by the way, in verse uh, 17 through uh, 21, he talks to the Jew. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and you rest in the law and make, the boast, make your boast of God, and you know his will, knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, and notice this, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. So whether you have God's revelation or whether you don't, the point is, you still can know things. Everybody in this world knows things. God made it that way. So the first thing we ought, to, we ought to understand is that God has made this world with, with laws, you might say, with truths. Is, is gravity a truth? Does gravity work? Do, do you know that if you jump off the top of a building that you will... Hit the ground. Do you have to be a Christian to know that? Are, are, there are just some things. Do, do you know what hunger is and that you better eat food if you're hungry or you might die if you don't? Uh, of course. There are simple things in this world that God has built into this world that we know. We know what the sunlight does. We know what seeds in the ground we have found out. We put seeds in the ground and they grow. Uh, just simple things that you don't even have to be a Christian to know. We know that two plus two equals four. Though I guess some that don't believe in absolute truths even uh, you know, question whether, whether that is, is true or not. But the first thing that we ought to understand is that if God made this world, consider it, God, God is truth. And all facts and all knowledge come from God. And if he made this world, what does it figure? That there are things to know. And there are things to do with that knowledge. Now, secondly, mankind made in God's image is made to use that knowledge and find conclusions we are supposed to deduct things. We're supposed to say, well, if this is true and this is true, then this has to be true. Kind of like, uh, you know, in the garden. Well, if I have this seed and it's combined with soil and combined with water and sunshine, then there will be fruit from it. And we can deduct these things. And man is made to do that. Man is made to decipher you and I made in the image of God. Different even than the animals, though the, even the animals know things, and the, the animals are, are creatures that can decide things. They know fear uh, and so forth, and they know hunger and, and all the rest, and pain. But human beings can know beyond what animals know. I, I just read that book that... Uh, uh, Ross Crow recommended member when he was here and he taught our Sunday school class about creation and he and a book by Jason Lyle who's with uh, uh, Answers in Genesis uh, wrote a book called uh, the ultimate proof of creation but you know what he was arguing was this he and I, I read the book after 
after uh, Ross had talked about it. Lyle, this Dr. Lyle, who, who teaches uh, for Answers in Genesis, is basically saying that the, the uh, creationist knows things because he uses the world in the way God made it. And one of the ways we use the world in the way God made it is to read what God said about it. So if the same one who created something is the author of the book that describes that, then obviously those two things match, right? So if we want to know the way things are, we read about the one who made them, and we read it in his book. And therefore, even the way we reason and come to conclusions is going to be consistent with this book, right? So we can't be, we can't be inconsistent or unreasonable, or we can't say 2 plus 2 equals 5 and agree with this book. You see what he's saying? This book would never say 2 plus 2 is 5. Why? Because God didn't make the world that way. And the same one who made the world the way he made it wrote this book, and when we read it, we reason and deduce things the way we should. Then Lyle says that therefore the evolutionist is in a, a continual uh, contradiction because the evolutionist is thinking. And in order to think, you have to do what God has created you to do. And if you come to a conclusion that disagrees with this book, then somewhere along the way, you are in contradiction with the very God who created the world, the very God who wrote this book, and the God who created you to reason. How could then you come to something that's contradictory to what he said. So that's kind of what he says in this book, but it's an interesting approach to creation and evolution uh, because he just uh, basically starts with that, uh, with that knowledge that we know God, we know what he has said, and uh, we have to think according to the way he said things. And as soon as we get away from that, we're not going to be true about our conclusions, we're not going to be right about our conclusions. Okay, so whether we uh, uh, have deductive reasoning, you know, de there's deductive and inductive. Deductive is if, this is if A is true and B is true and C is true, then this conclusion has to be true. Or inductive is kind of going the long way around, collecting information and coming to a conclusion after you look at a whole lot of information. So whether you come at it uh, deductively or inductively, you still come to truth that God has created in this world. All right? So first point simply is that there is common knowledge. The second, a second thing is that we find out in God's Word then is that there is hidden knowledge. There is knowledge that is not uh, or, or let me say, lies beyond the uh, senses of the natural man. So the natural man being the lost man, the natural man being the person without Jesus Christ who doesn't care for this word, who doesn't care for God, there is knowledge that lies beyond 
his knowing until he becomes a believer? Well, in Luke uh, 11, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, Luke 11:52 said, Woe unto you, lawyers, he's speaking to lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in you hindered. Here's what God has said about the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah, and you've decided to reject that. And in rejecting it, you've kept everyone else from, from accepting the same truth about Messiah. Or you know, of course, 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, what we understand, first of all, is that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, then that fall, as we, we call it, cut them off from vital truth. That was one of the problems when sin entered into this world. Before that, when they had fellowship with God in the garden, God walked with them, God talked with them, God gave them understanding. There, there was no fallenness in Adam. There, there was no sinful nature to, to uh, inhibit the knowledge or discourage his understanding. He could understand things perfectly, instantly, whatever God uh, told him. He, after all, he could name all the animals <laughs> in a day's time, no problem. What do you want me to do after lunch? You know, I mean, he, uh, it, it was amazing what man was before the fall. But once sin came in, then... The human mind was cut off spiritually from the source of knowledge, and so it figures that then he's going to be cut off from a lot of knowledge that he could have otherwise known. So he's cut off. In Romans 1, 21 and 22, when, when Paul again is beginning this argument about knowing that there is a God, he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And then professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So at that, at that fall into sin, we have to understand. Now, isn't it, isn't it true that, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here in this thought, but History is full of people, brilliant people, who said things the way they said it, sometimes atheistic things and the rest, and they come to know Christ as Savior, and what happens? Night and day change. All of a sudden, the things that they argued against all of their lives, now they are, are defending. The greatest example of that is, is Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. I think one of the most amazing stories in Acts chapter 9 is here's Saul of Tarsus wanting to kill Christians and, and put down this, this whole hoax about Christ and his resurrection, meets Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, and, as soon, and, and he was blinded for three days, but as soon as he got his sight back, he went and got baptized before lunch, <laughs> Then he ate, we hadn't eaten for three days, and then he's out in the, in the marketplace in Damascus preaching that Jesus is the Christ on the same day. Ne never was a more hardened sinner against Jesus Christ 
conversion then fills him with this knowledge that he didn't have before. And history is full of examples very much like that, and all of us are similar examples to that. Whether we were saved at a young age or an older age, uh, our whole outlook on the world changed. George MacDonald, I had this quote in my file, George MacDonald once said, to say, thou art God, not knowing uh, what the thou means, what use is it? He says, God is a name only except we know God. Then God is just a word. God is just a name. But once you know God, you know much more than that. So the fall cut off human beings from vital uh, truth. Secondly, then there is a refusal many times to look beyond ourself for truth. I'm talking about the natural man. I'm talking about the person who doesn't know Christ. So uh, we are good at saying, I know these things because I observe them. We know we have our five senses. I can, I can see this. I can hear this. I can smell or touch this. Therefore, I know it. But anything beyond that, I don't know. You know, when we talk about modernism, by the way, we're talking about something that's happened in 200-year 200, 200 span, basically, from the 1700s to the, uh, to the 1700s, 1780s, as a matter of fact, to the 1980s. And before that, we, we have uh, history where God was accepted. And you talk about God, people accepted that. But when we came to modernism because of English deism, French skepticism, and then the growing German rationalism and so forth, someone described it as, uh, before that, you, we lived in this box called planet Earth, but we had the top of the box open. And we could look up into the sky and acknowledge that God exists. We could look at God's handiwork. We could look up figuratively speaking, and say God is there and what God has told us we can believe. Modernism came along in the 1700s and closed the box and said everything that we can know is within this box. There's nothing outside of this box that we can know. And so by closing the box and saying we have no access to God, we can only know what we observe. We can only know what is real. So, for example, when they were faced with the Bible that, that says that miracles happened, they look around at this world, they don't see those miracles, and they conclude miracles never happened. Why? Well, because look, you don't see any, do you? And since you don't see any, then they never have existed. And if you said, well, God has said, well, can't accept that because that's outside this world. Can't talk about God. So modernism closed the box, so to speak. And uh, for the 200 years, and, and you and I grew up in the last half of the 20th century where basically modernism was winding down. And uh, now even creationists were challenging what they said. Now the liberalism that said the Bible's not the word of God, that no miracles have happened. Now all of that was being challenged, and we won. 
Matter of fact, you and I get our name fundamentalist, by the way, because at the turn of, of that century, a group of men, some Baptists, some Presbyterian, some other denominations and so forth, began to uh, speak uh, God's word and say, this liberalism that came from Germany and French skepticism and all the rest is not right. We won. We went back to the fundamentals of God's word, and that's how we got our name. It's a good name, and it has a good history. These days, the word fundamentalist is kind of used in a lot of bad ways, too, so, uh, so we have to be careful with it. But still, that's where we got our name. And by the way, to finish that story, if, if um, modernism closed the top of the box so that you couldn't see anything, we got to what is now called postmodernism. What about after modernism? Well, the, the description would be, well, then the bottom of the box dropped out. <laughs> and there's no absolute truth now. So now we're in a generation called postmodern that is basically saying even the modernists were wrong. They couldn't know that evolution is true, but the creationists are wrong too. They can't know that what God said is true. We can't know that anything is true. And so the bottom has dropped out of that box now. Okay, so uh, the point being that um, uh, human beings have a refusal sometimes to look beyond that. Think of Noah's day, when every imagination of the thought of men's heart was only evil continually, and uh, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, preached, and they said, no, we don't believe that, we don't believe that's going to happen, and even when the rain started falling, they wouldn't get in the ark. Or consider uh, Romans 1. 32. I, wrote, I read in Romans 1, uh, but uh, Romans 1, 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In other words, Paul's, cre Paul's conclusion there is, not only uh, do they not uh, know God's truth, they're happy in not knowing God's truth. And they celebrate those that are contradictory to God's truth. I'll try to read you another quote if I can read what I wrote. Ravi Zachariah said, Knowledge in the hands of one who claims no higher authority than his own individuality is power in the hands of a fool. And really, that's what God says. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Power in the hands of a fool. And, and so, under the hidden knowledge, the second category, I've said, number one, the, the fall of human beings cut human beings off from knowledge that they would have otherwise known. Secondly, that same individual then has a real refusal to see anything except what he can observe by his five senses. I don't know God because I can't see him. I don't know what's out there because we have no way of knowing. And then thirdly, under that hidden knowledge, there is a knowledge, too, that God ha keeps lost people from seeing. The lost man, what does is, what is or, or 1 Corinthians uh, say again? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. They're, they're spiritually discerned. And until they become a spiritual person, they will not and cannot understand those things. There is a certain knowledge. What does the lost person really know about God? Only general concepts. What does the lost person know about salvation? Only the talk about it. 
They cannot know it themselves. And then 2 Corinthians, um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, Paul is caught up to the third heaven. Remember that? And he says, he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So he gets to go to heaven and hear knowledge from God that cannot and not allowed to be spoken on the earth. God has said, there's some things you cannot know. The secret things belong to God, Deuteronomy says. The things that are revealed belong to human beings. So there's a certain hidden knowledge that people just can't know. All right, so it brings us to a last and a, a third category, and that is that there is, I call it full knowledge. Uh, I, I mean that in the sense that there is a place, a way that we can know everything God is allowing us to know, everything that God says there is for human beings to know. We can't know everything that God knows. We, we never will, not even in eternity, but, and much less on this earth. But there, there is knowledge we can know. And, of course, when we say full knowledge, we mean knowledge through faith in Jesus Christ. So it is true that you and I as believers know things that Albert Einstein couldn't know. We know things that the, that the greatest professors and the greatest universities today, if they don't know Christ as Savior, they cannot know and do not know. Isn't that amazing? Because, of course, they want to look at the rest of us as, you know, a lower species somehow uh, of the higher intelligentsia that knows everything. And there are certain things they don't know. Maybe they know things we don't know about facts and figures and things that happen in the world. But we know things that they can't know. They know things that we could know if we went down that path and studied them like they did. But we know things they can't know at all unless they know Christ as Savior. Let me read you just some verses that speak to that kind of thing. Uh, in uh, Luke 24, 16, when, when the, the two were walking on the road to, uh, to Emmaus, it says their eyes were held that they should not know him. Remember, Christ held their knowledge back. And then in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him. A, a good illustration after the resurrection of Christ, that it is the entrance of Christ uh, into our lives that opens our eyes so that we can know him. We see through a glass darkly, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know even as also I am known. 2 Timothy 3, of unbelievers, they are ever learning and never able to come to the what? Knowledge of the truth. An unbeliever, not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ephesians 3.19, we know, or, or excuse me, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I always think that's an interesting oxymoron. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. <laughs> we know something that is past knowledge. Well, we know, we know something through faith in Jesus Christ that others without that cannot know. And remember, Paul said of the Jews, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. 
They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Do this with me. Go to, go to 2 Peter chapter 1, which is beyond Hebrews, 2 Peter chapter 1. Four verses here that are amazing verses. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, number one, you have to have this faith, and it's the same faith Peter had and every other believer's had. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, notice, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Even grace and peace, folks, you know as a believer, and some of the most brilliant scientific minds in this world don't know what you know when it comes to grace and peace through Jesus Christ, right? You know, isn't he saying you know these things through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord? Read on. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, notice, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You know things about glory and virtue that the scientific mind does not know. Because he is... He has saved you, the knowledge of him, and called you through that knowledge to this glory and virtue. And read on, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, knowledge that comes to us through the promises of God, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we have great and precious promises. That would be the word of God. Anything that God has said to us, whether past, present, or future, are great promises to us, and we know them, all right? And how are we partakers of the divine nature? I think you have to take that in light of what we know theologically in the Scripture, and that is not that we become God. We don't, we don't become little gods as, as even some charismatics today teach we don't become little gods but we begin to partake of what God knows we begin to partake even of a life that Jesus Christ showed us and as we through this knowledge begin to partake of the things that God gives us these great and precious promises then we have an avenue you might say into the divine nature that no one else without Christ has we become partakers of those things. Fellowship with God. 1 John uh, chapter 1. You may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You can't have that. And that's a partaker of the divine nature. And not only that, at the end of verse 4, we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. That is something that you and I know how to do that the world does not know how to do. We know what our evil nature is. We admit it. We've confessed it to God and asked forgiveness. <laughs> and we confess those sins every day. 
And by being a believer in Jesus Christ, you have escaped what would otherwise have been total corruption in your life. You've escaped that. And no one without Christ knows that escape. <laughs> they don't know what that escape from the old nature is and the corruption that comes with it. That's why you pray for the salvation of your kids and grandkids and so forth, because you know what the corruption of that nature will do to them if they don't accept Christ as Savior. You know what will happen in this world. And I'll read just a little bit further. I'm out of time. But beside this, give all diligence. Add to your faith, not knowledge first, but virtue first, and then knowledge. Walk with God. Have your sins confessed. Have virtue in your life. And your cranium will open up to the knowledge of God. It is, it is carnality that closes even the believing mind to the knowledge of God. Paul said, I would have fed you with meat, but I had to feed you with milk because you're carnal. Virtue first opens up the believing mind to the knowledge of God. So we can know these things, okay? So um, that's the reality. Uh, two, two more quotes and I'll end with these because I pulled them out of my file, okay? C.S. Lewis is sometimes hard to read. He was an atheist who became a believer, and he writes about that a lot. He said, Though flesh, in a sense, knows what spirit knows, only spirit knows it knows. Only when we look back from supernature do we, un do we see what nature really meant. You have, to, you have to read him to understand this. So let me, let, let me finish with Ravi Zacharias again. Of all the causes which conspire to blind man's erring judgment and misguide the mind, what the weak head with strongest bias rules is pride, the never-failing vice of fools. Pride in our own knowledge, the ever, the, the never-failing vice of fools. Okay, so a little reminder today. Uh, obviously just skipping a rock across the top of the water here uh, when we think about what God has given us to know and the ability we have to know it. But I hope it's encouraging to us as believers. Uh, someone said, we, we may not know everything about God and about His Word, but what we do know, we know for sure because God told it to us. All right, let's end in prayer. Father, thank you for such blessing. Thank you for... Uh, personal knowledge of you through Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, that though we still carry an old nature and though we still are stodgy in our minds, you have made an avenue of truth for us through your word, through the Holy Spirit. And Father, help us then to pursue those things and to leave the things of the world behind and to know you better and bless us in that pursuit. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and thank you for being in our class this morning.